basically in the later days of David's life is about life as David sees it, as life as David lived it. It was a life that was spent under the watchful care of a loving shepherd. In this psalm, we've heard now, this is the sixth week, about how the shepherd meets his needs, how the shepherd gives him direction, gives him purpose in life, gives him courage and confidence to face hardship and fills his life with abundance. And today he ends this psalm in verse 6 with what I would call a note of triumph. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I got to tell you, as a kid, I, I always thought it was interesting that goodness and mercy would follow me all the days of my life, but I wondered, who is this Shirley they were talking about? I know we got one here. I've already told her that joke in the last couple of weeks. But we're going to see the importance of this word Shirley today as we look at it. In this last verse here today, David emphasizes a sense of hope and a sense of well-being that God promises his people. And this is why I have never really been able to fully understand negative, pessimistic Christians. You know, those kind of Christians who appear to have been baptized in vinegar. Christians whose view of the world and view of the future can be best summarized in three words. Ain't it awful? You hear them carrying on. You hear Christians saying things like, Oh, the economy is bad and it's only going to get worse. Oh, the government is out to get you. You can't trust anybody. People aren't nearly as good as they used to be, and on and on and on. Now, I don't know where that comes from, because the Bible teaches a completely different outlook on life. The Bible teaches us that even though there are problems in this world, and there are struggles that you and I are going to need to endure, you know, the valley of the shadow of death, we talked about that a few weeks back, God is ultimately in control. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He takes care of his people. And so we have every good reason to have hope when it comes to the future. Now, it's not because you're in control. It's not because the right political party is in control. It's because God is in control. And even though you and I pass through this valley of the shadow of death. We don't need to fear any evil. We don't need to fear the future because God is in control. And since God is in control, what do we have? We have hope for today. We have hope for tomorrow. We have hope for our relationships. We have hope for our families. We have hope for our jobs. We have hope for our happiness. We have hope for our lives making a difference. We have hope for spending the eternity in heaven with Jesus. Not long ago, I, as I'm flipping through some channels, I stopped and I watched The Shawshank Redemption for a while. And believe me, if you ever want to see that movie, you just have to go to a cable channel because I think that movie's playing almost all the time on television. That movie, if you know it, is narrated by Morgan Freeman. Uh, Morgan Freeman has been locked up in the Shawshank prison his entire adult life, and he talks about hope in this movie and here's what he says. He says, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. That's a pretty dismal view of life, isn't it? But some people feel that way about life on the outside. 
You ever have somebody tell you, maybe a, a well-meaning Christian came up to you and said, don't get your hopes up. Don't expect too much. I mean, life is just one disappointment after another, so you better get used to it. There's a Christian singer by the name of Steve Taylor who also said something. I think the quote will be on the screen. He said, life unwinds like a cheap sweater, but since I gave up hope, I feel a lot better. And the truth gets blurred like a wet letter, but since I gave up hope, I feel a lot better. You know, that's how some people feel. I mean, sadly, some of those people who call themselves Bible-believing Christians have this negative attitude. Except there's one part of the Bible that they haven't been quite able to assimilate into their thinking. And I, I'm going to boil this down for you. We all need to somehow get this through our thick Lutheran skulls. We need to get it through our thick Bible-believing skulls. Here it is. Hope is a good thing. Did you get that? Hope is a good thing. Now, if you got to say it with me. Hope is a good thing. It's okay to feel good about your life. It's okay to feel good about your future. It's okay. Why? God is in control. Now, do you know what? I, I, I find this in my own life. That the more you walk with Jesus, the more you spend time in his word, the more your outlook is defined by hope. There's an old show tune from the Broadway musical South Pacific called Cockeyed Optimist. I think I got those words up there for you, too. I'm stuck like a dope with a thing called hope, and I can't get it out of my heart. Now, see, that ought to be what we walk around saying. I'm stuck like a dope with a thing called hope, and I can't get it out of my heart. See, that's what happens to people who live lives under the care of the great shepherd. They become inescapably and irreversibly hopeful, just like David. Now, when I think about David, I think about a guy whose life was not always lived up on the mountaintops. He had a lot of valley experiences. He had a lot of through the valley of the shadow of death experiences. He lived with a lot of heartache. He lived with a lot of tragedy in his life. He lived with a lot of failure in his life, and yet he was still able to say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Many of you have heard, probably at a wedding, 1 Corinthians 13 read about how love is this and that and this and that and this and that, and it gets to the end, and it says there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Now, we know we're supposed to live lives of love. We know we're supposed to live lives of faith. But I sometimes think we miss part of that equation, that we are to live lives of hope. So what I want to do today in closing is just talk about how do you live a life of hope? How do you get kind of all charged up about today and tomorrow the future, and beyond. Well, three different things. Here's the first thing. Having hope means that you can live with a sense of certainty. If you can remember back to week one of this series, I told you that there are only about 120 words in Psalm 23. 
The interesting thing is, even though there are only about 120 words here, every last one of them is extremely important. Uh, one of the most important words in this psalm, however, is the first word of verse 6. You know what that word is? Surely. Surely. Not maybe, not perhaps, not just conceivably, not possibly, or even probably. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. The same idea was expressed in the New Testament in the reading that Jimmy shared with us today from Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Do you know what Paul was saying to the Romans there in that verse? He was saying, surely. He, he's saying we can live with a sense of expectation because God is surely in control. He's surely at work in our life. I, I'm kind of excited in these next couple of weeks because a couple of my favorite television shows are coming back on. I, I, I love the show Burn Notice. Anybody watch Burn Notice beside me? Just me and Derek, huh? Well, Nancy does because I have to watch it. Uh, I also watch a show called Leverage. Okay? I'm also a big NCIS fan. NCIS Los Angeles, too. Now, those are all kind of action-packed dramas on television. The interesting thing is, you know that the hero is always going to somehow escape. Some of you are probably big 24 fans. You knew that no matter what problem Jack Bauer got himself into, he was going to somehow get out of that. The reason is, there's another show scheduled the next week. So when I watch shows like Burn Notice or Leverage or when I watch NCIS or NCIS Los Angeles, I don't find myself saying, oh no, will Michael Weston survive? Will Gibbs make it through? Is this the end? Instead, I'm sitting there going, you know something, this is interesting. I kind of wonder how this is going to come out. See, it's not if, it's how. Because we all know that the writers are committed to this character and they're going to make sure that he or she are going to be in that next episode. And I think the same is, is true for us. It's not a question of if God will get you through a difficult situation. It's a question of how God will get you through that difficult situation. It's not a question of if God will bring blessings to your life. It's how God is going to bring those blessings to your life. It's not a question of if God will work things out for your good and his glory, but it's a question of how is he going to do it. Now, there have been some times in my life that I have looked at seemingly inescapable situations, and I've said, boy, this is going to be interesting. I wonder how God's going to work this one out. I know he will, because I'm in next week's episode. The only thing I don't know is how he is going to do it. See, that's where hope comes in. See, as one of God's people, if you are one of God's sheep, you can say, surely. You can live with a sense of certainty. Surely 
goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Here's the second thing. You can live with a sense of optimism. David says after Shirley, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, let me ask you, what's coming your way right now? Some of you have probably given a few thoughts as to what's going to happen in the next days, weeks, months, years ahead. What's coming down the path? Now, a lot of people say, you know, they, they see a train coming. You know, is it irritations that are coming? Uh, relatives going to show up for a week? Uh, sickness, disappointment, poverty, problems? Or can you instead step back and say, what's coming? Hey, blessings are coming. Opportunities are coming. Victory is coming. Power over sin is coming. Strong relationships are coming. Why can I say that? Because surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, Psalm 23 reminds us that it's okay. It's okay to be optimistic. David, the first thing David says is that goodness will follow me. Goodness. And you see this in a couple of different ways. First of all, we can expect good things to happen. We can expect a windfall of blessings from time to time. And when we experience tough times, we can still look forward to that we're going to get through those tough times. Now, there's another sense in which goodness is coming your way. It's that you are becoming good. Or put another way, the Bible way, you're in the process of becoming holy. That's what sanctification is all about. Paul said that all things work together for good. In other words, he said that we're being conformed constantly into what? Into the image of the Son of God. In the book of Philippians, it said, He who began a good work in you. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had a baptism in conjunction with communion, or with confirmation. God began a good work in the heart of that little one. I don't know where God began his good work in you. Maybe it was at baptism when you were a child. Maybe you had a, a conversion experience sometimes later in life. I don't know when that was. But whenever God started that, listen to the rest of this verse, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Any of you have half-finished projects around the house? More people than watch uh, Burn Notice, Derek. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people do. They kind of start off and get distracted. But see, Jesus said, I'm going to finish what I started. I'm going to make you more like Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't see how it could ever be possible that anybody, anytime, anyplace would ever call me holy. Well, friends, I want, to, I, I want you to know that it is possible. It is possible for someone and for yourself to view yourself as holy. It's not just possible, it's surely. Surely. As you walk with the shepherd, you put yourself in his care. He not only gives you the blessings of good things, he gives you the blessings of becoming good, becoming better, becoming holy. David also says, surely what goodness and mercy will follow me. That's because every last person here, all the way from Jason back to Kara, need mercy. This is important. I mean, sheep have a tendency to do what? Wander off the path, and so do we. 
That's why Isaiah wrote, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. It's also why God said through Isaiah, in my favor have I had mercy on you. Now, parents, any of you that have raised children, you know that you have to follow along behind your kids from time to time. You're kind of picking up after them. Uh, you're getting on them. You're getting them out of one scrape or one difficulty after another. And that's the exact same thing that our father does with us. He understands the process of growing up. There's no such thing as an instantaneous, full-blown, holy believer. We're all in the process of just getting better a little bit at a time. It's a never-ending process. That's why we need God's mercy again and again and again and again and again. And every time we need God's mercy, it's always there. I told somebody that this last week, and their response was, that's way cool. <laughs> it is. That's way cool that God's mercy is there every time we need it. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Be living with hope means you have a sense of optimism about yourself. You have a sense of optimism about your life, about, uh, about the future. It means that God is going to be sending good things to you. He's going to help you become good. He's, and he's going to give you as much mercy as you will ever, ever need for the journey. So much mercy that literally what? It follows you everywhere you go. You ever have something just follow you everywhere you want? Some of you get a little puppy or something. You know, everywhere it walks. So you got a little kid, you know, probably got, they just kind of follow all the way. You just can't get rid of them. Well, God's mercy is always there. It's like your shadow, always there. Here's the third aspect of living in hope. You can live with a sense of favor. Not long ago, somebody said, why do things always seem to work out so good for you? And I said, oh, really? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> but I guess life's been pretty good. Well, how does that happen? Well... Well, let me give you, give you an answer. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. David is saying that it's kind of like having a shadow, and that shadow is the blessing of God. Wherever you go, it goes. That means that whenever you go to work, when you spend time with your family, when you reach out to people in need, you can be sure that God's favor is following you. When you give, you can be sure that God's favor is following you. Now, I want to take you back to the Old Testament, book of Deuteronomy. As the people of Israel were ready to cross the Jordan River into the promised land, God made them a promise. He said, every square inch on which you place your foot will be yours. Your borders will stretch from the wilderness to the mountains of Lebanon from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea, no one will be able to stand in your way. Every time I read that verse, I think of a couple of years ago when I was down at Angola Prison, and I happened to be there when a bunch of Wheaton College students had taken their spring break to come down and work at a prison, of all things. And they were going to do a prayer walk. And so 25 Wheaton College students and about 50 or 60 
of the men, the inmates at Angola, some of the pastors, walked all the way around the perimeter of every camp in that prison. I understand Angola is 18,000 acres, but they walked all the way around the perimeter of the main prison. And then they walked all the way around Camp C and Camp D and Camp F and walked all the way around Death Row. And they claimed every spot as they walked for Jesus. When they were done, they kind of fanned out in between places. And they just kind of walked, kind of like you were just going to be walking through a cornfield, detasseling corn or something. And they claimed every place where their foot landed for Jesus. There are guys in that prison who they call tear walkers. Now, tear walkers actually walk back and forth in the dormitories at night from one end to the other just to make sure nothing is going on that shouldn't be going on. But we have, I should say we, I've, I've been, been able to do this with some people, we have a number of people who are tear walkers who are also Christian tear walkers who walk back and forth every night up and down, between the bunks, down, and claim every square inch for Jesus. You may not know this, but there are any number of times I come into this place and I stop and I pray over every spot in this church, place to place. Sometimes when I stop, I can actually picture who's sitting there. You know, I know that chances are I'm going to find Amber or James or Courtney. You know, those are the people I, I'm going to find for the most part. Dylan, I always know where Derek is going to sit. Some of the rest of you, I always know where you are. Ted, I always know where you're at. And I'll walk over that and claim that spot for Jesus. I've done that for years. Walk and pray over every chair. When Nancy and I built our house a number of years ago, I mean, if you remember this, we came up with a Bible passage for every room, every doorway over the top. And before we did the painting and the sheet rocking and everything, I mean, even in the kitchen, we put passages up like, may this burnt offering come before you. <laughs> and, and out in the garage, I remember we wrote one, uh, Tim Christopher who built our house, you know, unless God builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And in the bedrooms, you know, some of my peace come over you or something like that. You know, but claiming that spot for Jesus. See, that's the favor of God. God says, I want to give you victory. I want to bless you. And nothing can stand in your way. Now, I'm not talking about some arrogant sense of entitlement. God doesn't favor you because he loves you more than he loves other people in this world. God favors you because you've chosen to love him more than anything else. He gives you favor because you've named him as your shepherd and you've identified yourself as one of his sheep. You belong to him. And because you belong to him, his favor rests on you all the days of your life, all the days of eternity, because you will do what? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what? A lot of people interpret that as meaning heaven. You're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, that's right. I'm going to live in heaven forever. Now, I'm going to tell you that it does mean heaven in one sense. But in another sense, you can live in the house of the Lord forever right now. 
You ever hear that little phrase, heaven on earth? You can live today with the favor of a chosen son or the favor of a chosen daughter. And that favor never ends. I mean, that's why I, I so often say at a funeral, what happens? You take your last breath here on earth and your next breath you take in heaven. That favor which God gives you here follows you all the days of your life. You're going to dwell in his presence forever. Now, hope can be defined with the word expectation. That's what the title of this sermon really was, the expectation. We live in expectation of a good life. We live in expectation of a good future. We can live with this expectation of a blessed eternity because we have a loving shepherd who watches us with tender care. Now, every week I've given you homework. In the last week, some people, it's kind of like school. Well, it's the last class. You're not going to give us homework again, are you? Yes, I am. I want to give you something else to think about uh, to help this message kind of uh, infiltrate in your life to the deepest level. And I, I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing from people who say, in fact, I've even seen this on Facebook. I don't remember who it is, something about um, enjoying the still waters this afternoon. Or I'll get an email, and, and who knows, maybe this next week I'll get an email from somebody, all it'll say is, surely. I don't know. Uh, but last week I asked you to make a list of those areas in your life in which your cup runneth over. Remember that? If you really gave thought to that, that your cup runneth over, I bet your list was pretty long. This week, I want to encourage you to do two things. Here's number one. Memorize all of Psalm 23. Now, do six, but you already got one through five done. You ought to know this one by now. I don't know how many times I even said this today. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, tack that on to the first five, and you got something. And then I would just say, try to get into the habit of repeating Psalm 23 as often as you can. Maybe, I don't know what you do in the morning when you get up, you know, they always say there's two different kinds of people in the morning. Those who get up in the morning go, oh, God, it's morning. And those who say, oh, God, it's morning. <laughs> a little bit different. Maybe if you got up in the morning and you said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And just go all the way to the, to the end. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And maybe as you go to sleep at night, you think of that. And if you're like me, I could probably start that when I go to bed and never get to the end. That's okay. I might be asleep before that. But that might be God saying, okay, I'll be with you, don't worry. And each day I'd like to have you consider again to write down three good and merciful things that follow you. You know, maybe it's an unexpected blessing. Maybe it's an unexpected victory in an area that you've been kind of defeated in the past. Uh, maybe you've fallen down in your life some way and God helped you not only quickly, but he helped you just to get back up. I mean, just, I, if you think of three good and merciful things that happen to you each day, that'd be a wonderful thing. Isaiah chapter forty eleven says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. I certainly hope that you've gotten as much from this series as I've gotten from it. And I hope that you've gotten uh, from this series that God is not some sort of a drill sergeant. God is not a tyrant. God is not a taskmaster. 
but that God is a good and loving and caring shepherd and that you are one of his sheep. And I can promise you, I can guarantee you, I can flat out tell you that if you put yourself in his care, your life will be blessed beyond words. And that, my friends, is way cool. Let's pray.